You know, this week the challenge, uh, they asked me to wrap things up with Bible school and what the kids have been doing and also tied into Father's Day. And so the challenge is how to, how to bring both of those things together and marry them into uh, one message. And so that's what I have prayed about this week and struggled over what I was going to do. And I finally landed down on Luke chapter 2 and verse 52. Certainly, here's a verse that speaks to kids about what was done at Bible school is just the beginning, not the end of a journey, but just the beginning. And it also speaks to dads. And I want to say more about that later. And guys upstairs, if I'm getting some feedback and ringing up here, and it seems a little loud to me. Maybe it's not to people out there, but anyway. Uh, also speaks wonderfully to, to, to dads, this passage. And I'll be making application of that in the message. In fact, this morning, I've entitled the message, The Perfect Male. I should say the perfect human because that's what Jesus was. But I use the word male because today is what? Father's Day. But I want us to look at a passage that says volumes about the life of the Lord Jesus. And whether you're a child today or whether you're an adult, some applications of this passage to your life. So find Luke chapter 2. And uh, we're actually going to back up and begin reading in verse 41. And then we will close out the chapter. So I want you to stand for the reading of God's Word. Luke 2, beginning in verse 42. And notice the scripture says, Every year Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. Why did they do that? Because they were commanded to do that. You go back into the Old Testament and you find the commands of God. The children of Israel were commanded to go up to Jerusalem and observe these festivals and Passover was one of them. It says when he was 12 years old they went up to the festival according to the custom. After the festival was over while his parents were returning home the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem but they were unaware of it. Now, if you read 2021 culture back into this, you're not going to understand what was going on. How in the world could parents leave their child? But family groupings, villages would get together and travel together. And the children would be hanging out together. They would leave assuming a child was with another family member or some family friend. So again, you try to read today's culture into this, it doesn't make sense. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple court, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. 
His mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me? He asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Let's pray. Father, we thank you how this week the boys and girls have studied so diligently about the life of Christ as to how he came just as you had promised in the Old Testament. They also looked at him doing miracles and displaying God's power. We saw how he was rejected and crucified. And then after the crucifixion, how he was resurrected to life again. Father, we thank you for the gift of your son who came to die for our sin that we might be reconciled to a holy God. Father, as we look at this passage today on the life of Christ, even as a young man, whether I'm speaking to a young person that's been in Bible school this week or to a dad or a granddad. What a wonderful pattern for our growth his earthly life provides for us as we read here. Father, in our lives, I pray that we would continue to seek you, to live for you, and to tell others about you. For it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Well, folks, we know that the Bible says that Jesus Christ is the second Adam. That's one of the descriptions given of Christ in the Scripture. We know that the first Adam failed. He royally messed things up, right? Thank you, Adam. He was created in the image of God, but he did not live up to what he was supposed to be. The first Adam did not live as mankind was created to live. And he brought sin into the world. And so today, we talk about original sin or we talk about inherited sin. Same thing. And it simply points out to us that you and I sin by nature and by choice. And again, this goes back to the first Adam. But Jesus, while he's the Son of God, the second person of the Godhead, the Trinity, he's also described in the Bible as the second Adam. In other words, he came to undo what the first Adam messed up. He perfectly lived as man was created to live. He obeyed God's standards in all regards, yet without sin. And then ultimately, he laid down his life for us, dying for us. On the cross, he took all of God's righteous wrath against sin, and he died in your place, and he died in my place. 
But leading up to that, we see in the New Testament that he also lived his earthly life the way that the first Adam was intended to live his life. We see that referenced here in our text. We know very little about the childhood of Jesus. But you know, Luke tells us a very brief episode here in Luke chapter 2 about the early years, the growing up years of the Lord Jesus. And I'm certainly glad we have this passage because we wouldn't know very much about the early days of Jesus as grown up years without a passage like this. And surprisingly, as we look at this passage, we are astounded to discover that Jesus grew. How can God grow? Well, we're going to look at that in a few minutes ago and what it refers to. But if Jesus is the perfect male and he grew, what does his example say to young people today? And what does his example say to men and women and fathers today? 2 Peter 3.18 says, But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Are you growing? Am I growing? Are we continually growing in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord? Jesus grew. And you know, Romans 8 tells us that we are to be conformed to the image of Christ. This is God's plan that His Holy Spirit takes His Word and He uses that Word to mold and shape us and conform us more all the time to the image of His Son. And so let's look this morning at what the Bible says here about Jesus growing. And again, it's truly an astounding thought when you think about it. The fact that Jesus, our Lord and Savior, grew. Now what this passage is talking about, of course, is the humanity of Jesus. It's not a passage that speaks about his deity, but of his humanity. And that's why it says that Jesus grew. And we're confronted again with the fact that we've seen in the Bible repeatedly that Jesus had two distinct natures. One person, two natures. Each nature is complete and fully preserved, but in one person. And neither nature replaces or diminishes the other nature. Now concerning his humanity, other uh, early church leaders and theologians pointed out that he had a reasonable body and soul. Speaking of his humanity. Now what did they mean in coming to that conclusion that he had a reasonable body and soul? And here's what they meant by that. If you could take a five-year-old little boy, Jesus, and set him down on a rock and say, Jesus, you're also the Son of God. Can you tell me about all the great discoveries of the world, about all the great scientific discoveries and mathematical equations? Can you tell me about Einstein's theory of, of relativity and all this, could Jesus as a five-year-old boy done that? No. No. And so they came up with their famous statement concerning his humanity that Jesus in his 
human nature had a reasonable body and soul. Meaning in that regard, he's like everybody else. Yes, in his deity, he knows everything. But in his humanity, apparently he didn't. He told his disciples one time concerning his return. He said, man doesn't know. I don't even know. Only the Father knows. And so there were things in Jesus' humanity that he did not know. He had to grow. He had to learn. It's a mystery, I know. Because again, in his deity as God, he knows everything. He's sovereign God who knows all and God doesn't have to learn anything. But in his humanity, in his incarnation, when he came in the flesh like you and me, yet without sin, he grew. He was born as an infant. He grew in in his parents' home with siblings and he learned. And so in the incarnation, you have the union of both natures, the deity and humanity of Christ. Each nature complete without destroying or altering the other nature at all. Two natures in one person. And so while Jesus never sinned in his humanity, we do learn the astounding thing here in Luke chapter 2 that he did grow. I mentioned a moment ago the Bible presents us with a very reserved picture of Jesus' childhood years. We don't know very much about it. These were years spent apparently in quiet learning and submission. And so I'm glad we have a passage like this. It tells us volumes. It tells us volumes about his character development. And what we have here is a picture of steady growth. In fact, we see that Jesus grew in four different ways. He grew intellectually, he grew physically, he grew spiritually, and he grew socially. And so what we have here is a very balanced picture. And it's an example to you and me how we are to grow as followers of Jesus Christ. Were there children coming out of VBS? Continuing to grow up or where there are men here on Father's Day. It establishes a wonderful pattern for all of us how we are to grow. First of all this morning we see that we are to follow the example of Jesus in growing intellectually. It says, and Jesus kept increasing in wisdom or knowledge. Folks, God has given us our minds. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 22, when he was asked what's the greatest commandment of all, he said you're to love the Lord your God with all of your soul, with all of your body, with all of your strength, and with all of your mind. Sometimes in the past, preparing your mind intellectually to be a servant of Christ has not always been appreciated that much. For example, back in the 19th century, there was a group of primitive Baptists in the state of Georgia who did not even want their clergy to be educated. They felt like if a man had a Bible led by the Holy Spirit, he had all of the intellectual preparation that he ever needed for ministry. 
And so they downplayed education altogether. And of course we know the Holy Spirit will be our teacher. But nonetheless we need to be educated on the Word of God. Developing our minds. Even going to school, developing our minds. It's an important part of our growth. In fact, Peter says in 1 Peter 1.13, he says, You are to gird up the loins of your mind for action. It was a symbol that they knew back then, girding up. They, they all wore long robes. And, and so if they were going to work out in the fields or be engaged in running or sports, they would have to gird up their loins. That is, gather up that robe, freeing up their legs, and tuck it into their belt. It was a sign of preparation you were ready for action and Peter tells the people of his day living in a very ungodly culture where they're, where they're being challenged at every turn he says to the people in the church that he's writing to you need to gird up the loins of your mind in other words you need to be mentally prepared you need to grow mentally in your faith and in this culture so you can be a witness of Christ in this culture that's what Simon Peter was telling them Folks, Christianity isn't simply meant to touch our hearts. It does that, but it touches all of us. Paul says in Romans 12 too, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That you may prove what the will of God is. And the book of Proverbs says, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. There's a connection between the, between the heart and the mind. We're to be convinced in our heads and convinced in our hearts. And that's what the boys and girls have seen in the videos this week about how the guy made that journey being convinced in both that Jesus is Lord. Amen? How do we grow our minds? How did Jesus grow his mind? Well, we know that Jesus was an expert in the scripture. In fact, when religious authorities would challenge him on the word of God, he would often say, have you never read? And he would correct them on what God had said in the scripture. Feed on the word of God, dads. Talking to you today on Father's Day. Feed on the Word of God. Psalm 119 verse 24 says, Thy testimonies also are my delight. They are my counselors. Psalm 119 goes on to say in verse 105, Thy Word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Dads, why not take the next 90 days over summer? And read through the entire New Testament. You're only going to have to read 2.8 chapters a day. Let's round up to three. Three chapters a day over the next 90 days. To read through just the New Testament. Dads, can I challenge you to do that? I've had several men in our congregation come to me in recent months and years... One, about a year or two years ago, a senior adult man came to me and said, Scott, well, he called me and said, would you come to my house? I want to show you something. And he took me into his office. He said, 
Years ago, you challenged us as men to know the Scripture. And he said, I decided I was going to take you up on that and start reading the Bible. And every morning I've set aside time and done this. And let me show you the process that I go through. And he said, Pastor, I want to thank you for that challenge because it has transformed my life. He said, I never had any idea. Oh, I would quickly read through a passage or a little devotional book or something, lay it down, go my way. He said, but I've never really read and studied through God's Word. And it has literally changed my life. And I just want to thank you for that challenge. About a month ago, had a 30-year-old young father, young married man in our church, called me one day, said, can I meet with you this week? He sat in my office right over here on this hallway, and he said, Scott, you challenged us recently. He went through that same thing. And he said, I want you to know I grew up in church. I memorized all the right things. I was baptized. I did this and that. I thought I was saved. And maybe I was, but I don't know now. But anyway, I took you up on that challenge. And I I started reading through God's Word. And he said, with my work schedule, it was really tough to do sometimes. But I did it. And he said, Pastor, somewhere along the way in that process, really digging in, studying, taking to heart what I was reading, he said, I became a new creation in Christ. He said, now I wonder if I was saved as a young, maybe I was, I don't know. But he said, I'm here to tell you, it has literally changed my life. I'm a better man, a better father, a better husband. He said, now I love the things of God. I can't always say that I did love the things of God. I hate sin in my life. He said, again, I just want to thank you for giving us that challenge. This week. Listening to the testimony of a college and seminary professor at Moody Bible Institute. Somebody who teaches the Bible. Knows he's saved. But he says, I lost all the joy in my Christian walk. I was just stale and dry. No joy. And he said, my wife looked at me and said, what are you going to do about it? Wives are good about that sometimes, aren't they? He said, I started setting my clock and getting up earlier. He said, I started in the book of Ephesians. I don't know why there, just just there. Nothing magical about where you start. I started there. And I would only read three verses at a time. And I would sit there and meditate on those verses and how they could apply to my life and pray about them. And just spend time that day reflecting on that. Next day I'd do the same. Next day, three verses at a time. He said, I went day after day, nothing happened. Week after week. Nothing happened. Jumped over into the book of Philippians, was just doing the same thing. And he said, honestly, at that point, it was just me deciding I was going to do this and keeping that time on the calendar to do it. He said, but suddenly something began happening in my life. And he said, I was revived in my soul and renewed and the joy of my salvation came back. He said, I'm a new man today. And he said, that little bit of time I set aside, I don't just set that. He said, that time has continued to grow. He said, that time in God's word and reflecting on his word and praying, he he said, there's nothing in the world I would take for that. It has brought about a transformation. Dads, grow your mind. 
by doing that with God's Word. Spend time in His Word each day and see what happens. God will grow your faith and He will give you a joy inside. If you aren't saved, He'll use His Word to bring about salvation. If you are saved, He'll bring about renewal. But He'll do that in your heart. My pastor growing up said the thing that touched him more than anything else as a young boy was seeing how his dad had a recliner he would sit in and pour over God's Word and read it and study it and pray. And he said all the kids knew that was dad's time with God and we left him alone. He said, but seeing a dad who acted that way had that respect and that involvement with God's Word, he said, as a little boy, that stuck with me. And that impacted my life. And as I mentioned, he went on himself to become a pastor. Dads, we need to watch the input. Remember that old computer slang back decades ago people would talk about garbage in garbage out I don't I've ha- hadn't heard that in recent years that's true of the mind isn't it and that's why Paul says in Philippians 4 8 finally brethren whatever is true whatever is honorable whatever is right whatever is pure whatever is lovely whatever is of good repute if there's any excellence and anything worthy of praise let your mind dwell on these things We need to realize the lifelong challenge of growing mentally in our faith. At age 92, Oliver Wendell Holmes, one, uh, uh, one of our greatest Supreme Court justices of the past, re- found reading in his library and a friend asked what he was doing and he smiled and said, improving my mind. Age 92. Cato, the Roman scholar, started studying Greek when he was over 80. When he, asked why, when he was asked why, he said, it's the earliest age that I have left. G. Campbell Morgan, a pastor who, who pastored Westminster Chapel in London. I can't hardly think of a pastor who has so impacted the people of his day. And they said he had a hot heart towards Jesus and a mind that would match it. And he influenced all those around him in his culture for Christ. Think about us. Are we... Are we really prepared intellectually to be a witness of our Christian faith? Boys and girls this year, the theme has been looking at archaeology. But just overall, are we, are we prepared? Some of us rarely do anything whatsoever mentally to be better servants of Christ. And the truth of the matter is, this culture that we live in, a postmodern culture of the 21st century, they're not going to buy some of the things in the past that people... People in the past would say, well, okay, the Bible says it, I believe that settles it, but people today won't do that. They're, they're looking for better answers. 
better answers to them, that is. And if you and I are going to reach them, we've got to be better prepared ourselves. Peter says, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account of the hope that you have within you. If you met the average man man or woman on the street today who was an agnostic, for instance, and asked you, why are you a Christian? Would you sit down at lunch today and tell me why and what brought you to that decision? Would you be able to give them an answer that they could run with in any way? Think about it. Am I preparing, am I growing mentally, intellectually as Jesus? You see, that's the whole motive. Obviously, it's so that we can be better witnesses of Christ in this culture. That's that's a great motive. But an even better motive is, I want to be like my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who grew this way himself. Secondly, we are to follow the example of Jesus in growing physically. He grew in stature. Now, we know that there's an obsession today over the body that's fleshly, it's egotistical, it's ungodly, and the healthcare industry has gone absolutely nuts. They've got a cream or a supplement or a diet for everything. If you don't end, like what you end up with, hey, just go under the knife. Get it fixed that way. An absolute obsession. That's how the Greeks, the early Greeks, were too. Folks, there needs to be balance. There needs to be perspective. Now, in the Hebrew mindset, you would never ignore the body. The body was the temple of God. Paul, even in the New Testament, talks about the temple of God, how important that is. And so we need to be careful with our flesh. We need to eat right. We need to exercise. We need to make sure we're doing the right things with our body instead of sinful things. But again, there's a balance. We're not to be fleshly fanatics. As Paul said to Timothy, bodily exercise profits little Hey, that all, that's some of our favorite verses right there, right? Bodily exercise profits little, whereas spiritual exercise profits much. Again, balance. So for the Christian, if I ignore my body and allow the flesh to go downhill... As I age, you know what's going to, I mean, we're all going to age, we're all going to decline. But if I just let myself go, you know what's going to happen? It's going to limit what I'm able to do as a servant of Christ. It's going to hinder that. And so we need to take care of our bodies. So if God blesses us with a full, rich life, you can serve Christ with, with energy. And by the way, did you know that most modern mission boards today, one of the things they put you through, screening process, they're, they're looking at you physically too because if they send your family away to a foreign mission field where there not, may not be the medical care you have here, 
if your body is a wreck physically or medically speaking, they're probably not going to appoint you as a missionary. So they look at these issues today. Dr. Lewis Thomas taught at Yale Medical School. He discusses what he calls the seven healthy life habits concept. Blue Cross picked up on these and adopted them. They're just common sense. Eat breakfast, exercise regularly, maintain your normal weight, don't smoke, don't drink excessively, sleep eight hours a night, and don't eat between meals. Just common sense statements that, as I say, even Blue Cross has adopted. And again, what's our motive? Our motive is so we can be a better servant of Christ. But again... Jesus grew in this regard. Thirdly, we're to follow the example of Jesus in growing spiritually. It says, and he grew in favor with God. You remember that Uncle Remus story about Briar Rabbit, Briar Patch, Briar Fox? Y'all remember that? How Briar Fox, trying to catch the rabbit, came up with that trick and Finally caught him. The rabbit stuck in that tar and the fox had him now. And the fox was going to eat him. He said, oh, I got some stuff at home that will pair up nicely with this rabbit dinner. And what's Briar Rabbit say? Oh, you can kill me. You can do this to me. But don't throw me in that briar patch over there. Don't do whatever you do. Don't do that. And they continued on with this litany of things that briar fox could do to him. And he'd say, okay, you can do that to me. But whatever you do, don't throw me in that. Oh, don't throw me in that briar patch over there. I don't want to go there. Don't throw me there. So the fox got out fox, didn't he? He thought, hmm, this is not what he wants. What did he do? He picked him up, got him free of the tar, threw him over in the briar patch. What briar rabbit say? With great enthusiasm, I was born in the briar patch. This is what I was made for. Out fox the fox. Apply that story to spiritual growth. Spirituality is not something to avoid. Folks, it's what you were redeemed for. You were made to grow in Christ. Remember what Paul says after discussing in Ephesians 2 that you were dead in trespasses and sins. You were dead. You were under the wrath of God. But God who's rich in mercy and grace by His grace through faith, not of human works, He saved you. What does Paul go on to say right after that passage in verse 10? You were created in Christ Jesus for good works. In other words, you were created to grow and bear fruit. Fruit unto good works. Good works not as a root of salvation, but as the fruit of salvation that comes from growth. This is what God redeemed you for. That you would grow up, be conformed to the image of Christ and all that you do in your life, that you'd bring glory to God. Grow spiritually. Let me give you a couple of principles. The principle of communion. 
What's it say of Jesus in Mark chapter 1 verse 35 that Jesus after a busy day and before another busy day he got alone out by himself and he was communing with God and the disciples they were looking everywhere for him and couldn't find him. He was alone with God. When they found him he said come on we got to go to the next village. Where did he get his strength and wisdom? Communion with the Father. The principle of concentration. John 15, Jesus says, Abide in me and let my word abide in you. Abide in me. Let me abide in you. Abide in me. Over and over again, some 10 or 11 times in about Nine verses, Jesus tells us where our concentration has got to be. It's got to be abiding in Him and His Word and His Word abiding in us. Staying focused on that. And out of that, we're going to bear fruit. The principle of addition. What's Peter say in 2 Peter chapter 1 beginning in verse 5 he says for this very reason make every effort to add to your faith goodness to goodness knowledge to knowledge self-control to self-control perseverance to perseverance godliness and to godliness mutual affection and to mutual affection love he goes on to say if these qualities are in you you're not going to be fruitless and God's going to use you The principle of subtraction. The writer of Hebrews in Hebrews 12 says as you're running your race for Jesus you need to look around and, and if there's any sin in your life that's hindering you or any habits that's hindering you from running your race you need to subtract those things from your life and lay them aside and keep your eyes on Christ. Then the principle of multiplication in 2 Timothy 2. Paul says, the things that you've learned from me, Timothy, you need to pass along to others. The Christian faith, dads that you possess, in, in any way whatsoever, are you instilling that in others? How do we know if we're growing spiritually? Am I loving God's word more? Am I finding that when I face difficult situations and decisions, the scripture is becoming more and more my compass for life? A am I becoming more and more like Jesus? How will I know? Is the fruit of the Spirit in me? If I miss my time with the Lord, do I miss it and look forward to getting back to it? Am I loving God's people more? Am I loving Christian fellowship? Because John says in 1 John, if I don't love the brethren, I still abide in death. Am I a servant of Christ? Am I involved in ministry? Do I find people wanting to know, do, do, I, do I find myself wanting people to know my Savior? See, all of those are marks of growing in the Lord marks of maturity from a biblical perspective are these things happening in my life you see it's possible to be 
a Christian for 60 years and still be a babe in Christ. Spiritual growth and maturity doesn't go along with our age. Hopefully it does. As you grow older, you're growing in wisdom and knowledge of the Lord. But I'm just saying it's not automatic that way. I've seen young people put all these things into practice and be amazing examples to the body of Christ at a very young age. We've seen that in some of our young people here. And lastly, we're to follow the example of Jesus in growing socially. He not only grew in favor with God, but also with men. Now, folks, now that's an interesting phrase, isn't it? Because we know that as Jesus carried on his public ministry, many turned away from him. And many in the crowds fell out of favor with him. And yet we know that those who were truly seeking God actually did yearn for more time with him. Sinners were drawn to him. Luke 15, that, that chapter where Jesus tells those great parables of lostness and the prodigal son. And, you know, the beginning of that chapter, the religious leaders were, were opposing Jesus and mocking him because he was hanging out with sinners. Sinners were attracted to Jesus. I think of Zacchaeus. Chief tax collector, no telling what kind of scandals he had been involved in in his life. He climbed a tree. He was a short little man and he wanted to see Jesus. He was hungry. I think of the woman with the issue of blood. Just had to get through the crowd to get to him. I think of Mary who rushed in to, to break the, the, the jar of perfume over his feet and wipe his feet with her hair. I think of the Roman centurion and John 4 who sought Jesus out to heal his son. I, I think of the multitudes that flocked to him in the Sermon on the Mount and Matthew comments that they were all amazed at his teaching. And so we see that consistent pattern in the Gospels. The religious leaders and the crowds that the leaders were able to whip up into a frenzy against Jesus they fell out of favor with Jesus because they were hardened against God but those who were truly seeking God were more and more drawn to Jesus and Matthew says in Matthew 9 that Jesus looked at the multitudes and his heart was moved with compassion for them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. In other words, they knew that Jesus loved them because he did love them. He cared about them. He cared about people. And people knew that. And they were drawn to him socially. Folks, do people know that we honestly care about them? Do they see the love of Christ in us? How about in our personal relationships? How about in our friendships? How about people at work? Do, do, they, do they know that we care about them? Are they drawn to us in any way socially? Jesus grew socially. We need to grow the same way. And that doesn't mean everybody's going to like us because the gospel is an offense. 
it's going to automatically be an offense to some. No way to avoid that. Now that doesn't mean that we purposely ourselves try to be an offense ourselves. I mean, as we're salt and light and represent the gospel, the gospel will be the offense. But as Paul says in Romans 12, as far as possible for a believer, be at peace with all men. And so we see these ways that Jesus as a young man grew in his humanity, intellectually, physically, spiritually, and socially. Again, were there a dad here this morning? Or a child that's come out of this week learning about Jesus? And the week's over. What do I do now? You continue to follow the pattern of Jesus here in growing. Jesus was the perfect human being. Will I ever be perfect? Or you not until we see Jesus? But daily, our desire should be to be more like him. Amen? Would you bow in prayer with me, please? Think about your own life right now. Are you growing intellectually in the faith? Growing in your knowledge of God's Word? Hiding God's Word in your heart? Preparing yourself intellectually to be able to share your faith with this interesting culture that we're in? How about your physical life? Are there things you need to deal with, and you know you need to deal with, to be a healthier person so you can be a better servant of Christ? Again, that's the motive. How about socially? Would lost people ever want to have a conversation with you? Are you engaged in any way with people? Commit your way to the Lord this morning in, in all four of these areas we've looked at. Live a balanced life for the sake of the gospel. Father, thank you for this challenge. And I pray that as dads, that we'll live up to this challenge. That we will be a model for our children and our grandchildren about how a Christian man is supposed to live his life. God, bring about this transformation in each of us. Bring it about in me. Help me to be a better example in each one of these areas. God, I pray for that dad right now, but not just a dad, anybody in here who would have the courage to come forward this morning and say, Pastor, it's time that I follow Christ. I need him in my life. I need forgiveness. I need to be put right with God. Would you pray for me? Yes, I'll pray for you. God, touch that person in a special way today. Have your way and your will. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Would you stand, please?